0: Hello and welcome, my name is Joanna Yunak, and this is GFN News on GFN.tv. In today's news. The Irish Heart Foundation is supporting calls to ban flavoured vapes. Dr. Gareth McGovern will tell us more. In the United States, there have been mixed developments in court and at the FDA itself over the regulation of vapes. Chimwema Ngoma, a leading tobacco harm reduction advocate from Malawi, will share his thoughts on smoking and vaping in Africa today. And after the news, Brent Stafford of RecWatch interviews Dr. Myra Glover, who has worked on reducing smoking-related harm for over 25 years. The Irish Heart Foundation has welcomed new measures aimed at preventing young people using e-cigarettes, which include plans to ban flavoured vapes. The charity said it had actively lobbied for four sweeping recommendations, including in pre legislative scrutiny report for the public health bill that was published nearly two weeks ago. We asked Dr. Guy McGovern, medical director of the Priority Medical Clinic in Dublin and GP specializing in addiction medicine, about the regulation of vaping products in Ireland.
1: Um, as it stands, um electronic cigarettes are uh, regulated as a consumer product. They're not regulated as a health product. Um, so they, they're not under the same sort of things as kind of convention, you know, the same regulations as uh, nicotine replacement therapy, you know, patches and gums, etc. Um, in, in Ireland, the, the, there's generally a lukewarm Sort of reactions towards electronic cigarettes in general by me- medical profession, possibly other professions as well. But the medical profession, my own profession, they either state quiet about electronic cigarettes, or some people are vocally against electronic cigarettes. So, um, just give you some just a little bit of background about how they're kind of viewed over here. In other words, they're not they're not the the health service executive, which would be the equivalent of the. Um, uh, the NHS in the UK, the HSC do not, health service executive, don't, don't um, advise electronic cigarettes as a smoking cessation device. So, in their HSE quit uh, website, if you look at it, they just have a little paragraph on electronic cigarettes and they say there, there isn't enough evidence to support their use of it se- or, or determine their safety, therefore, they're not recommending them. I, Personally, that's appalling advice, and it's completely at odds with what the international evidence is tell, telling us it's completely at odds with the Royal College of Physicians, Public Health England, and many other experts abroad. It's a contentious issue, but in the NHS, they're now funding, uh, uh, giving um, uh, electronic cigarettes to uh, people for free. In NHS, right? So, I just want to give that little background about it in Ireland, the way it is who who is putting forward these regulations it 's a joint committee a joint health committee in 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 our government um, that 's a problem because they didn 't really consult um, consumers in relation to this um, i i, I didn 't get an opportunity to say anything about it and hopefully i, I will but but uh, it, 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 it seems to have taken up the views of taken on the views of people who are anti vaping rather than the people who are pro-vaping. And I think it will be a big mistake. And um, I hope that we can stop it happening. I just hope that they don't overregulate electronic cigarettes. Yes, age restriction, all on for that, but not removal of flavors.
0: He shared also with us his thoughts on youth vaping.
1: So we, we have another situation now, which is, um, there seems to be a concern around uh, youth vaping. Um, And we don't have a huge amount of studies on this, but what we do know about youth vaping is it seems to me that the vast majority of young people who vape do so regularly or experimentally. And that's probably as much as 96, 95, 96%. There is about 4% of young people who are vaping uh, more regularly, uh, some of them possibly dependent on, on vaping. And that's, that's the group that everyone's getting into a tizzy about. Although when this is reported in Ireland, it's called, we use a, you know, a highly charged language like uh, epidemic. So we call it the vaping epidemic. I don't think there is an epidemic, but I'm not, but I'm not blind to the fact that even 4% of young people who vape is still too much. And also that, that works out at about 1% of all young people below the age of 18. Um, I think the problem there is, and we'll get back to this maybe later, is, is is I think we're taking our eye off the ball. I think we still have a problem with youth smoking and youth smoking smoking regardless of age comes with, as you know, um, huge harms. There doesn't seem to be a huge amount of harms that I'm seeing with vaping other than the fact that people would say they're addicted to nicotine. But I don't see that as particularly a problem because nicotine, if that's all you're taking is nicotine, the concentrations in or in vapes are so small, I don't think it's going to do anything to them. I know people will say it changes people's brains and stuff like that, but I think that's, you know, that's marginal stuff, really. I, I, I don't see vaping nicotine as a well. problem. So we have now a situation where the answer to this in Ireland is to um, ban flavours, because I think they're taking their cue from the alcohol industry, if you remember, there was a big, huge furore I don't know in your own country whether you had this issue of alcohol pops for alcohol, which would be flavored alcohol drinks, and they felt that that was being aimed at young people and that it increased the number of young people drinking. Um, so they're kind of it's kind of a similar argument here about about vaping. Um, what? People may not realise, and I don't think a lot of people in my own country realise this, is that I would have thought that one of the first regulations you would bring in to try and reduce uh, access of young people to vaping is an age restriction. But there isn't any age restriction in Ireland. So no age restriction. So they're going to bring that in now, but whilst they bring that in, they're going to ban flavours. So they're going to ban flavours, and we know from research internationally, that flavors are a very key component for people to use electronic cigarettes. Yes, some people like tobacco flavors, but very many people like like other flavors. And it's flavors that uh, gives them the opportunity to have a quit attempt. I have to say that smoking is a tremendously difficult habit to overcome. And anything that helps a smoker overcome smoking has to be really, really kind of um, supported. But in Ireland, we've got this idea that with banned flavours and everything will be fine. It's unlikely to protect young people because what they don't realise is even the small number of people who are vaping, they're, they're likely now, if they don't get access to electronic cigarettes, they probably will smoke. So they talk about the gateway, no real evidence of the gateway between vaping and smoking. I think the phrase more often uses common liability, which is just another way of saying that people, kids, will try things. They'll try vaping, but they'll also try smoking. They will try cannabis. They will try cocaine. They will try alcohol. It's called common liability. It's not gateway. But there's a scaremongering in my country in relation to this. And what my biggest concern is that with this scaremongering, it will discourage uh, people away from vaping, but also it will reduce access for the people who need vape, uh, electronics, the most smokers who are trying to.
0: Mark Murphy of the Irish Heart Foundation said, vape manufacturers are clearly using flavourings and research has found thousands of them that they know will attract minors. Let's hear Garrett's thoughts on
1: this. I don't accept that, um, um, that they are attracting Minors. If minors are getting access, then we we need to regulate so that minors don't have access to from cigarettes. But we are not very good at protecting minors away from cigarette smoking either. So, you know, uh, I, I, if you're asking me, which would I prefer? Would I prefer a minor to vape, or would I prefer a minor to smoke vape every time? And um, a lot of it experiment. The evidence shows it's experimental anyway. And but I but I but I accept that we we shouldn't be giving vapes to people who are under eighteen. I accept that. Although, you could argue, under-18s can get dependent on tobacco as well. And if they are, then maybe you need to look at that and see can you make exceptions in certain circumstances under supervision. But um, vape, uh, to, to say that um, if, uh, the, the vapes, well, if that's the case, it's attracting them, then why don't we just regulate it so it's, it's, it, it looks less attractive, if you know what I mean. So I know problems. That's what they really feel but I would fall short. I, I think we need to tease out regulation. What they're trying to do here is they're saying it attracts young, young people. I'm assuming they mean the advertising and the presentation of it. Well, I'm sure the vape, I don't know, I can't speak for vape companies, but I'm sure they, they are quite willing to engage with the government about how they sell their products. But they've decided not to do that, this committee. They want a full ban on the uh, flavours. Now, the one thing they haven't been challenged on is the fact that many people use electronic cigarettes because of the flavor. So ha, they, that, that seems very unfair to me. You're gonna protect a very small group of people, which is less than 1% of the overall people who use electronic cigarettes for a smoking cessation. There's a small group that will use them that it's not the best of smoking cessation, it's, it's a recreational drug, I suppose. And we're trying to protect a very small group who don't, 95% of them don't use it regularly anyway, and we're going to completely forget about the vast, vast, vast majority of smokers who are using flavoured cigarettes to quit. It just seems like a policy that has had, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see the minutes of meetings to see how they arrived at this conclusion. There Was there any any recognition at all of the vast number of smokers? There's 200,000 people, it's estimated, I don't know how accurate the figure is, but possibly as many as 200,000 um, largely smokers in Ireland who use electronic cigarettes. You know, there's going to be a, a number of those, I don't know, at fresh if we get rid of flavors.
0: Now let's turn to the United States. Will, what's been happening since we last spoke?
2: Hi, Joanna. Here it's all still about the FDA's chaotic handling of vaping regulation. Since the uproar over the agency's dual decision, which we discussed last time, there have been several more developments few of them encouraging. Firstly, on July 13th, the FDA was granted the power to regulate and exercise enforcement discretion over synthetic nicotine vaping products, per a law passed by Congress some months ago. The agency wasted no time that very day in sending out over a hundred warning letters to companies marketing these products without authorization and to retailers that have allegedly sold them to minors.
0: What's behind the synthetic nicotine phenomenon in the US?
2: It's largely a creation of the FDA itself. Numerous companies, having seen their PMTA applications to the agency denied, switched over to synthetic, which was a legal grey area. The FDA's remit technically encompassed only tobacco-derived nicotine products, not nicotine made in a lab, even though it's essentially identical. The new law has now got rid of that apparent loophole. Synthetic nicotine companies had, meanwhile, been ordered to submit new PMTAs in what critics have called an impossible timeframe.
0: What has happened?
2: Well, talking of PMTA denials, as we know, several smaller vape companies have fought back against them in courts. They've achieved some stays and limited successes, and Triton Distribution, a company at the forefront of these efforts, was seen by some as a proxy for this wider campaign on july 18th however the company was dealt a significant blow in the fifth circuit court of appeals when its petition for a review was denied triton's lawyers argued that the fda acted arbitrarily and capriciously never making it clear that certain scientific studies would be required until too late but in a split two to one decision the judges backed the fda Judge Edith Jones wrote an eye-catching dissenting opinion, however, she called the agency's actions a mockery of reasoned administrative decision-making, adding Kafka would have understood the FDA all too well. Triton may have some legal options to fight on, but the decision was undoubtedly a major setback.
0: Is there any good news?
2: That depends on who you listen to, but on July 20th, Dr. Robert Califf, head of the crisis-ridden FDA, announced that he would commission external experts to conduct, quote, a comprehensive evaluation of the agency's Center for Tobacco Products, which handles PMTAs. Will this significantly change the agency's approach? Cliff Douglas, director of the University of Michigan Tobacco Research Network, told filters Alex Norcher that he was optimistic for improvements. But after all that's happened, there's great skepticism in the THR community for anything that comes out of FDA mouths. The agency had to look like it's doing something, an anonymous former employee told Alex, but I wouldn't expect huge changes from this.
0: Thank you Will for your update. See you next time. Over the summer, we decided to travel to a range of countries and speak to local experts to find out what's happening tobacco harm reduction around the world. In the last episode, we spoke with John Summers about vaping and smoking in the UK. This time, we crossed over to Malawi to hear from Jim Goma, a leading tobacco harm reduction advocate. Thank you, Jim, for joining us. Can you tell us what's happening across Africa in terms of the use of combustible cigarettes and the harm reduction situation, including the use of safer nicotine products across the continent?
3: In most African countries, combustible cigarettes um, and and other high risk products are the ones that dominate the market. And uh, you find less of safer nicotine products being available on the market. But I think um, the products are getting popular each passing day and um, people are adopting them. Um, Talking of regulation, um, in most African countries, there are no specific laws regarding the use and sale of uh, nicotine products. Uh, but I know of uh, some countries like Uganda that have uh, banned the sale of uh, um, uh, electronic cigarettes. And I know of uh, some countries like Kenya and South Africa, which have been trying to come up with a uh, regulation on electronic cigarettes and other safer nicotine products. On availability, I'll uh, mention Kenya as one of the, uh, or, the or maybe the, the, the only African countries Uh, I mean, I would mention Kenya as one of or the only African country where uh, there is a bit of diversity when it comes to safer nicotine products. Um, In Kenya, you find uh, vaping products. And um, before the sales were suspended, uh, they also had nicotine coaches, known as LIFT. But the problem in Kenya is that when they take a step forward in the right direction, they later on take uh, a step or more backwards for example uh, the diversity of safer nicotine products uh, the availability of vaping products and uh, lift in Kenya would be considered as the right uh, step in the right direction but the prohibitory tax measures uh, on the products is just progressive so yeah um, we we can talk about the diversity and availability of um, uh, electronic cigarettes and uh, the nicotine pouches in Kenya as um, something that is good and they're doing better but when we talk about access and affordability they have a tax measures on the products are just uh, prohibitory this means that uh, some consumers might uh, resolve into the black market or they might uh, go for uh, high-risk products that are found to be cheaper
0: And what about vaping in Malawi, where you live?
3: In Malawi, people are slowly taking up um, electronic cigarettes as a safer means of consuming nicotine. But the problem is that um, these products are considered as products for the elite because a lot of people in Malawi cannot uh, afford uh, the Vaping products because they, they are just expensive, not because uh, of tax measures like in Kenya, but it is because uh, of what maybe I would call the role of demand and supply. Um, the, the supply is still very low, but the products um, getting the demand each passing day, so that means that um, the, the, their prices are higher than we would want them to be. So for an average income earning smoker living in Malawi, I would say that they, uh, they they are not able to access these products. And unfortunately for us, we don't have nicotine pouches in Malawi, uh, which is a low-tech product, which I think would be ideal for uh, countries like Malawi, where there are a lot of uh, low income uh, earning smokers. Uh, so uh, I think, that's where we stand at the moment in Malawi. And talking of regulation in Malawi, we don't have any regulation on uh, the sale and use of electronic cigarettes and uh, any other safer nicotine product.
0: Is the government of Malawi supporting people to have better access to safer nicotine products?
3: I think it is true that um, a lot of smokers living in Malawi and other uh, low and middle income countries uh, do not have access to safer nicotine products. And some studies reveal that underfunding is one of the factors that cripple the health care system uh, in many African countries, which are low income. Uh, to the extent that some governments are unable to meet the basic requirements for a good health care system, And this means that smokers have difficulty in accessing reduced risk nicotine products, including the nicotine replacement therapies that are supposed to be widely available, but you find, uh, I mean, you barely find them in our healthcare institutions. And what we expect is that governments in Africa um, embrace tobacco harm reduction which would be easier for them to implement at minimal cost to um, the government itself and the taxpayers, because mainly what happens is that the science and research on tobacco harm reduction is mainly done by the industry and not the governments. And the consumers fund their own nicotine use. If they want cigarettes, they buy uh, by themselves. And if they would want uh, safer nicotine products, they would get them by themselves. So, this is something that the governments in uh, Africa and Malawi should consider doing and it's something that I haven't really uh, seen uh, the governments doing. And uh, I would like to encourage them to maybe explore this route.
0: Bloomberg-funded organizations operate in many African countries and these organizations tend to act against the interest of tobacco harm reduction. Can you tell us more about what they do and how they are affecting the situation in the countries where they are active?
3: The philanthropy is uh, to some extent trying to impose uh, the western tobacco control measures on Africa, which are not only expensive but complex to implement for any resource stretched government in Africa. Like I mentioned earlier that um, there is a bit of underfunding and uh, in a resource stretched uh, economies. It is very rare for countries to prioritize tobacco control or tobacco harm reduction. So um, the 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 Bloomberg funded organizations available in Africa, to some extent, are simply trying to uh, propel their ideologies. And uh, what bothers me the most is that the philanthropy funded organizations propel. Uh, misinformation that nicotine causes lung cancer, and uh, that safer nicotine products are as harmful as uh, combustible cigarettes, uh, deliberately uh, ignoring the science and evidence. And we all know the uh, effects of misinformation. For example, that time we had the a outbreak, there was misinformation that the a was being caused by vaping nicotine products. Uh, it was later on disproved uh, dis- but uh what we see and uh, what is happening here in africa is that some some people are still uh, arguing basing on that misinformation about uh the evaly A- being caused by uh, electronic cigarettes which is causing more harm uh, than good so uh, I, I i think these Bloomberg funded organizations are on the forefront in propelling misinformation which I think is uh, something dangerous to public health and it, it might cause um, a, a lot of harm to the healthcare uh, system here in Africa And there is another group uh, believed to be funded by the philanthropy uh, which is just there to attack and discredit anyone who say anything good about tobacco harm reduction. Um I for one have been attacked and have been uh, uh, mentioned names and all sorts of things basing on misinformation, disinformation and propaganda, and not basing on what the science and evidence says. So there is this uh, uh, happening, there is this thing happening in Africa, uh, which I think uh, is Uh, something terrible and it should not happen and everyone should follow science and evidence and that is what should inform our arguments and the uh, policies that African countries develop.
0: Before we go over to Brent for our RecWatch GFN TV interview, we've got some news to share with you. Do you want to enjoy the latest developments in tobacco harm reduction while you are on the go? Because now you can. From now on, each episode of GFN News will be also available as a podcast. Find us by searching for GFN News on SouthCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcast. Stay informed on the tobacco harm reduction around the world while you are cooking dinner, at the gym or on your commute. And now we go over to Brent Stafford and his guest, Dr. Marua Glover. Marua has worked as a policy analyst, a coordinator of National Tobacco Control Program, a smoking cessation trainer and, for over 17 years, as a researcher. She has also chaired numerous committees and organizations including End Smoking New Zealand. In today's interview, Marua will share her thoughts on nicotine vapes in New Zealand. Over to you Brent.
4: Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and welcome to another edition of RegWatch on GFN.TV. We're here in Warsaw, Poland for the Global Forum on Nicotine, GFN22. In a minute, we'll be speaking a fascinating conversation actually with Dr. Marwa Glover. Now, New Zealand is a country that's had an up-and-down relationship when it comes to nicotine vapes. For a while, it looked not so good. But about a year ago, they passed legislation, new regulations that made nicotine vapes legal and things look pretty good, or does it? We had you back on the, sh- on the show about a year or so ago, and it wasn't for a great story. I think we titled that Shunned. Mm. Let's jump right into it. You know, what's been going on with your battle in New Zealand?
5: In New Zealand well I just continue on with my work and my studies and of course with uh, lockdown couldn't go anywhere anymore so uh, any studies involving face-to-face had to be shelved and put on hold and so most of it has been desk work and but there's been some big changes we had the vaping regulation go through so that was a huge relief Uh, the government has been running a vape to quit campaign So uh, encouraging people who smoke to switch to vaping.
4: So it was a real 180, wasn't it?
5: It was, well they had the campaign made some time before, but uh, really needed the regulation to go through before they could launch it. So once that went through, they launched the campaign and we have, you know, the smoking rates are going down and then you see on the graph, as. The smoking rates come down, the vaping rates are going up almost. You know, yeah, it's, it's a perfect kind of picture showing that vaping is displacing smoking.
4: Which is excellent news. So, what happened to you professionally?
5: Oh, I just keep doing my work and, and pumping papers out. Uh, it, it, it's been difficult to get published, but I know that that's across a lot of sectors. Once, you know, with the pandemic, researchers just all turned to writing about the pandemic, writing about COVID, and a lot of research money and focus and effort just all switched away from whatever people were working on. Uh, And there's been concerns about that in the scientific community. So um, we ran a survey uh, of, in the US, uh, India, New Zealand, and... Russia, an uh, online survey of people who smoke, vape, uh, drink alcohol and or use other drugs. And we got that up and running fairly quickly in the first wave to try and gauge the effects of lockdown. How were people coping in lockdown? It was my theory was that, you know, with the stress of everything, that people would actually smoke more.
4: And that didn't happen
5: the The research around the world tends to say some people smoke more some people smoke less some people stayed the same uh, so it's kind of mixed for example in New Zealand many people didn't mind lockdown at all it was like didn't have to go to work or they worked from home uh, we it was summer it was warm people you know got time off with family so there were a lot of positives that uh, it didn't it wasn't stressful. It was the opposite. It was like a almost a holiday for a lot of people.
4: Is this your first uh, GFN in person?
5: Since 2015, I've been coming to GFN. So why? Oh, it was. Uh, I was tweeting, and I yeah, I was tweeting a lot about harm reduction, snus, because I'd already been lobbying for snus to be legalised in New Zealand. Um, The organisation I was chairing, N Smoking NZ, had been lobbying for SNUS for about 10 years. And then along came vaping. And we looked at vaping. Uh, We were one of the first organisations to maybe, maybe this, maybe this. And so we started looking into vaping. And I was tweeting about harm reduction and SNUS and vaping. And I got invited to come and speak at the GFN 2015. And I've been coming every year since. It, it was really a, a big turnaround, a big learning curve for me. I went back from that, I went to visit the people at the Ministry of Health. I was like, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to, you know, encourage people to switch to vaping because we didn't have snus. The Ministry of Health was saying that snus was illegal.
4: So, what is it then about? Uh the conference, uh, the speakers, the mingling. What is it that is important about GFN?
5: It was uh, the like-minded, other people learning so much from the consumers. That's a really huge difference between this conference and any of the other tobacco control or public health conferences that I'd been going to for you know a couple of decades or more. Um, Huge presence of consumers. They're part of the panels. They, uh, that you know, there are sessions on the consumer's perspective, and they're the ones I really learned a lot from. And with my expertise in smoking cessation, I've been doing that for nearly thirty years now. And I could, I learnt, yeah, I can see that how this is working, and how why it's working so quickly for people, why it's so easy for people to switch uh, from smoking. Completely, even and transition. There's a whole transition pathway, so that um, harm reduction and not just harm reduction, but the more in depth understanding of harm reduction. I got that here because there's a lot of people who come from drug harm reduction that are part of running the conference, and they always have that perspective there as well. And we never really had that in tobacco control.
4: It's interesting because I guess in you know harm reduction, you have users. In vaping, you have consumers, yes. uh, but it's both the, you know, it's the end person. It's strange because even for us in our coverage, it's hard to just go out and get interviews with the consumer. It, they, it, it's their hard animal to find. Really? Yeah, yeah, because I think at, um, you'd have to hang out at a vape store, and most of them that come in are not really amenable to you know, having a camera stuck in their face. Okay. And uh, in Canada, we used to have um, vaping expos, which went away when vaping became legalized. That was one of the deals the industry made with Health Canada. So there would were no you know they didn't have any consumer expos anymore. And even then, um, the people that were coming didn't really recognize themselves as a vaping consumer. And so, and they, if they weren't advocates, they were just somebody who vaped, right? What do you, this, they, it was, it was not very easy to be able to ask them too many of the questions like we talk about.
5: We also have lost vape expos in New Zealand with the vaping regulation. So the vape meets uh, that were smaller local meetings um, and small regional kind of vape expos or vape meets I began going to those, I don't know, that might have been around 2015 as well, or the first one was after that. Um, and yeah, the vaping regulation banned all of those. So that's a real loss. Why
4: is it that the regulators, You know, at least in Canada and New Zealand, you know, got rid of the expos? And why is it that the industry rolled over on that? Because it seems to me that those are extremely important events because they not only drive business, but they drive lifestyle.
5: They saw it as a marketing and promotion opportunity and uh, even though our vape expo was R18, um, you know, they made a lot of, well, kids will get in or... Um, so they, they really clamped down in our regulation on promotion of vaping uh, and have restricted it to specialist vape stores. And it also dampened the online forums that uh, people who vape had set up to help others so they would educate other people anyone in New Zealand that wanted to try vaping and they would go onto to one of the vape forums I've been smoking this or I'm thinking about vaping or I'm trying vaping and I'm coughing a lot and all of the people uh, who were part of those forums would help them so you had access to 24 7 support and advice from other people who had already vaped and switched. So those were really excellent. The, the vaping regulation kind of left it uh, very grey about whether or not those were allowed to continue. I think the vaping regulation, one, it's kind of legitimised vaping as an alternative to smoking, it's got the government stamp of approval now um, in one of our studies called Voices of the Five Percent, we're interviewing people who smoke who never were going to quit or they didn't believe they would be able to, and actually we are because we're following them through, and many have tried vaping now, and many have transitioned or some have trans- transitioned to vaping altogether.
4: This is fascinating. So. I mean, there was a time when it looked like New Zealand wasn't, you know, so much in favor of vaping. And then that was what I meant by the 180 is they kind of all of a sudden, they really got behind it. And now it's a couple of years now, isn't it, I guess, that, that when did the regulation pass?
5: I think that only passed last year.
4: So last year. Yeah. Okay. I bring this up only because in Canada, right, we passed legislation, it became law, and then it... Did't last more than six months before it you know suffered under the moral panic of teen vaping mm-hmm. and then e Valley and you know we're looking at in Canada here now complete destruction of the industry by the very government that legalized it
5: Yes so when I went back from GFN 2015 I went to see the Ministry of Health the um, head of the tobacco section was dead against it uh, then he moved on to another role within the Ministry of Health and the next person was open to it so she was much more focused on this you know this could actually bring down especially Maori smoking rates which Maori women's smoking rates are still the highest in the country and uh, yeah so things began it really did come down to well that person was against it and this person was very open to it this could be a solution to more rapidly reduce smoking rates, which it has. It has done that.
4: Is it getting the recognition for doing that in the regular mainstream media?
5: Oh, totally, totally. I mean, there are a lot of people in media who were smoking. So many people, you know, if I was interviewed by reporters, they were either vaping or they'd given up smoking, gone on to vaping, and now didn't vape either. So media have a lot of people who, Don't don't you know about that, the high smoking rates among people who work in media? Well,
4: well, yeah, that and drinking and a few other things, (laughs) I'll tell you. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I mean, it's like, ai can't believe that story. It's such a good news story, I can't even possibly imagine it, you know, say for an American or a Canadian, because the media hates vaping.
5: Right. Well, no, a lot of people in the media in New Zealand have been smokers uh, and have switched so, no, they totally got it. And m- many people in public also got it. It was like, well, why would you ban it? Um, but it's it's safer, isn't it? So it's going to reduce harm, isn't it? So it's really only the uh, staunch prohibitionists and anti-tobacco, anti-nicotine um, tobacco control people who continue to... Put out misinformation about nicotine, continue to ramp up, try and ramp up this panic about youth vaping, and and they just keep pumping that out there. But there's only really they're a real minority. And some of them have switched, you know, when they saw that the horse is bolted, they're not going to get this banned, and now suddenly they're the experts in vaping. And then they are winning all the research funding uh, to study vaping. That must be maddening. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, we've, you've got to watch them because we know that really they hate it, uh, and so then you've got to worry about well, what sort of research are they doing? How it's biased? Um, how are they going to be treating these people who who smoke and or vape? Um, you know, so they they are very. Um, persistent in using stigmatizing terms, you know, calling people jewel users, calling them users and you know, which we don't like to do in harm reduction. Stigmatize people and label them.
4: Would you say the last year has kind of changed your outlook a little bit? Do you feel redeemed in any way?
5: Oh, I guess I guess so. I mean the evidence is just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. You know, you do take a bit of a leap. Uh, when you decide early when there's a new innovation or technology and you go, no, this is going to work. And of course, there's always a, what if it doesn't? Uh, But, you know, when you have decades of experience, you understand about the chemistry, you understand about behaviour. And I looked into all of that. I was pretty sure, yes, this is going to work. And of course, I met many people who vape at GFN 2015, 16, 17, and they were talking about improvements in their health. So when you listen to the consumer, it becomes clear, we are actually seeing reversal of some disease as Ricardo Pelosis found in the COPD studies um, and their asthma studies. So I I feel that the evidence was even indicating strong enough for me to say no, this is, you know, this is the way to go.
4: Do you think this will stick in New Zealand? Or are the forces allied against vaping still, you know, a a challenge?
5: I know that in other countries that are still fighting, like in Canada, the New Zealand regulation is being held up as a model. Know how fantastic that we got that through. Look at New Zealand, do what New Zealand has done. But people need to read the wording in the regulation It is a prohibitionist piece of legislation. It says uh, we want to encourage people who smoke, who are aged over 18, which is our, we have our 18, uh, for access to tobacco and vaping products. Encourage people over 18 who smoke to switch to vaping. Nobody who doesn't smoke should ever vape. Anybody who has stopped smoking uh, and vaping should never go back to vaping. And and it's in the legislation, it says, uh, we must prevent the normalization of vaping. So the normalization and denormalization, this is a key strategy of tobacco control. Denormalization of smoking is all of the shaming, it's all of the punishing policies, it's the taxing it's the banning where you can smoke and so that is written into our vaping regulation that we will we must prevent the normalization of vaping so once everybody has switched from smoking so we have about we had about 550,000 people who smoke in a country of 5 million and now we're down to 450,000 who smoke and that's going to continue to decline well once you get them down there and then the legislation also says and then encourage people to stop vaping. So it's a plan to get them from this level down to this level and then down and then off or completely and no one is ever allowed to go back. So all of the policies, the smoking cessation services, so they're quite willing to help you and support you to switch from smoking to vaping and then they may even say, and just keep vaping, just to make sure you don't relapse to smoking. Uh, and then we'll work on getting you off vaping.
4: So it's a, it's, not, it's a process that won't end until you stop your nicotine use.
5: That's right. Yep. except that we have nicotine uh, patches and gum, and it's okay to be on those for the rest of your life. But it's not going to be okay to be on vaping for the rest of your life. The legislation is written in that way. You switch from here to there and then you then you try to get off vaping.
4: So there's nothing to prevent the government if they decide three or four years down the road that there's you know, not enough people have made that move or or maybe enough people have made the move. And now it's time to That's cut right. the floor out underneath the Exactly.
5: Vapors. Yeah. So what What it has done is lay the groundwork for the next legislative change, which has already been proposed, and is supposed to be introduced later this year. So they can see that yes, people are switching. Now we just need to push harder. We need to encourage people to switch from smoking to vaping and make smoking even less attractive. So now we're looking at new legislation coming in. They want to bring in the cap on nicotine in combustible tobacco. So you will not be able to buy tobacco that has more than 0.5 milligrams per gram. So that's the very low nicotine cigarettes. Uh, So basically an ineffective product. They looked at banning filters in cigarettes, but that didn't make it through to what's going to be put forward the um, sinking lid on the age of purchase so from I think 2017 every year the age of purchase will go up by one year until nobody will be able to legally buy uh, combustible products are they going to do that to vaping well maybe not at first let's get everyone off smoking onto vaping but that's that's the precedent is there for when they decide okay a very small number of people smoke. Now's the time to do exactly what we did there to now crunch down on vaping and see that eliminated.
4: So it seems like to me that this whole endeavor for public health and tobacco control is an opportunity to exercise a muscle of social engineering.
5: Yes, and there's a lot of excitement among tobacco control researchers in New Zealand that we may be the first not just to do very low nicotine cigarettes across the board but to do the sinking lid on the age of purchase and the other policy that they're putting in is to reduce the number of retailers that will be able to sell the combustible tobacco products so we have about 8,000 convenience stores that sell tobacco now throughout New Zealand, a country the size of Japan with 5 million people spread, spread across They're going to reduce that from 8,000 to 500 throughout the whole country. Yeah. So, for example, people in a rural area who already might have to, when they go to the supermarket a couple of hours away, do their big shop, um, they have to buy in bulk um, already. Well, will there still be a shop there that will be selling tobacco? Uh, So, these are novel policies. And many people don't actually know, because it hasn't been done anywhere else, what the ramifications will be or the consequences.
4: Boy, this interview's sure changed for me. There was a moment there early on I'm going, wow, things really have made a difference in New Zealand and this is amazing, but we're really not talking about that at all. This is a quick march to a boot, you know, on nicotine users
5: complete elimination of nicotine use in any form yes
0: that's all for today tune in next time here on gfn tv or on our new podcast for more tobacco harm reduction updates and brands interview with ricardo polosa the founder of the Center of Excellence for the Acceleration of Harm Reduction at the University of Catania in Italy. Thanks for watching or listening. See you next time!